to the Sports Talk with Big Sarge podcast. I'm your host, Big Sarge. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at Big Sarge Sports. That's with a Z at the end because I'm unique and I'm black and we just do things differently. But follow me at Big Sarge Sports with a Z on Twitter and on IG. And make sure to subscribe to this podcast. Share, 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 share to each and every person out there. On today, I got my guest, Chris Kennedy. Fantasy sports writer and analyst for the fantasy headliners and co-host of the fantasy Wolfpack. Oh, can I do that, Chris? Is that allowed? That was pretty good. Yeah, that was that was impressive. <laughs> He's from the Dynasty Wise Sports now. Chris, you you were on with me last week, and I'm so thankful and grateful to have you back on with me today. Because I mean, you know, we got to talk about the biggest game that happened on yesterday. Majority Super Bowl. It's 53, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Uh, was it 53 or 54? I believe 54. Oh, Super Bowl 54, man. Listen, Super Bowl 54. Let me tell you something, man. I why don't they just use numbers instead of Roman numerals? Like the Roman numerals after like X, I was confused. <laughs> so I'll be honest with you, this is the only time ever that we as Americans use Roman numerals is for the Super Bowl. I've never seen Roman numerals used anywhere else you, you know that they did so if this was 54 it spelled out live which is funny because that's a club in miami that everybody goes to it's like a popular night spot in miami but so it had to be super bowl 50 that was just the l correct that is correct yep did you know that they did not use the l because they said it stood for loser and so that's why they used the numbers 55 zero is that right? <laughs> yes, that's why the you know that's why they use the number instead of the Roman numeral because they're like, no, nah, L stands for loser. We don't want to go that route. We don't want to say Super Bowl L. It just looks it, the optics are bad. And so once again, tune into the Sports Talk with Big Sarge <laughs> podcast. I'm Big Sarge. That's Chris Kendrick. Now, Chris, before we even get started talking about Super Bowl Fifty Four, I gotta ask you this question: mm-hmm. Did you go to any Super Bowl parties on yesterday? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we uh I went over to uh to a friend's house last night. Uh there might have been about a dozen of us there and uh and the one thing I love about the Super Bowl is and I will say this, the one thing I I actually enjoyed about the Patriots not being in the Super Bowl this year is that I was actually able to enjoy the actual party and not be glued to the TV the entire time, worried about every single play. I was able to actually <laughs> sit down, enjoy the food, get some prop bets going, you know, enjoy some Super Bowl squares and just enjoy the actual moment. Wow. Now, with because I was at a Super Bowl party last night, but for a totally different reason. Um, I was I was there to watch the game, but I was more like I was I was there to be a troll and to be an antagonist mm-hmm. 
And to because my best friend of 30 plus years is a huge 49ers fan. So I told him, he invited me over. He said, hey, man, you want to come watch the game? I'm having a party. I said, you sure you want me at that party? Because <laughs> if y'all lose, I am going to troll you so bad. And I said, what bet? Like, who else would you want to do it besides your friend who knows where all the bodies are buried in? Like, it should come from me. I don't think there's anybody outside of, like, immediate family. Nobody else should be able to troll you like I should. And so I was like, but of course. Well, look, well, of course I will be there. So I went, and when they lost, I followed him all around the house saying, man, what happened? Are you okay? Do you need a hug? <laughs> like, can I, I can get my therapist on the phone for you. Just, I mean, do you want to, like, I can start a, a group chat and put your name in it so we can all pray for you to hope that, you know, hope that you feel better. But, Chris, here's, the, here's one of the most important questions when it comes to Super Bowl parties. What's your favorite Super Bowl party food? Like your favorite Super Bowl party food. Before I, I, I answer that, I have to ask, <laughs> were you were you at Sean's house last night? Uh, no. <laughs> okay. Because when you said 49er fan, the first person I thought of was Sean. And I was like, oh, that, that's the last thing that he would need. So, um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but as far as uh, food is concerned, I mean, for me, it's all about the dips. Um, I mean, you know, we had everything from spinach and artichoke to queso. We had guacamole. Everything was homemade. Um, and then, of course, you have, you know, all different types of breads uh, to dip them in. One of my friends made these bite-sized soft pretzel sticks that were absolutely delicious. We had homemade mac and cheese. We had wings. We had pulled pork sliders. I mean, there was there was more food than I knew what to do with. And then there was some unfortunate soul who decided to bring a salad to the event. And I almost wanted to ask them to leave, but it wasn't my house, so I couldn't do that. Chris, you're saying, look, first of all, carbs be damned. I, I don't care nothing about a diet tonight. <laughs> all the all, bread. <laughs> second of all, you said someone bought uh, a salad. Would that be the worst party food you've ever had in, at a Super Bowl party? It's, it's certainly up there. I mean, I mean, there are, sometimes someone might bring like a veggie platter and that's fine. Like you have carrots or celery and you're dipping it into ranch, you know, some sort of ranch, uh, you know, dip or something like that. But then you have the cauliflower and the broccoli and it's no, like this is the Super Bowl. You know, the, the whole point of this evening is to eat as disgustingly <laughs> possible as you can. <laughs> exactly. Hey, look, you're like, why? And then you look at your friends like, you knew they were vegan before you invited them. Why did you still invite them knowing that they were going to bring this stuff to the party? You don't invite them to a Super Bowl party. You, you invite them over for dinner on like a Wednesday. <laughs> exactly. So let's go ahead and jump right into it, man. On last night, the Kansas City Chiefs defeated the San Francisco 49ers 31-20 in Super Bowl 54. I just, your overall thoughts on, on the game. Overall thoughts were I was when I first was, you know, starting to watch the game, you know, the Chiefs, they got they got out to that quick touchdown and then they kind of slowed down a little bit. And I thought to myself, well, this is nothing new. You know, we saw this against Houston. We saw this against Tennessee where they had a really slow first quarter and then they just caught fire. And as the game progressed, we didn't really see that. The one thing that stood out to me the most was how dominant Nick Bosa was um, against Eric Fisher, the left tackle for the for the Chiefs. Nick Bosa absolutely dominated the line of scrimmage from the beginning of the game until the final whistle. 
Um, so that was the one thing that really stood out to me because the Chiefs offensive line had been a top five line throughout the entire regular season. Uh, but Nick Bosa is an, just a completely different animal and really showed that last night. Was it entertaining to you? The game overall? I'm sorry? Was it the game? The game itself, absolutely. I'll say it was one of the better Super Bowls that I have I have watched in recent memory. I mean, especially after that snooze fest that we saw last year between the Patriots and the Rams, it was nice to finally have some offense. And yeah, there was some there was some sloppiness here and there. Uh, but these were two very well matched teams. Um, and you know, as as you and I both predicted last week, the Chiefs did come out on top. But I will say there was there was not a point in the game where I. I kind of wanted to step away because I was bored. I was glued to the TV the entire night. I, I feel the exact same way. I was very entertained by the Super Bowl. And after the game was over, and like I said, I trolled my friend, you know, just because. But, you know, I took my fan hat off and put my professional hat back on. And I will say this, Chris. I can't name you one team out of the NFC that could have competed with the Kansas City Chiefs outside of the 49ers on last night. No. Um, and, and it's funny you say that because, you know, if this were, you know, five, six weeks ago, there were probably a couple teams I would have thrown out there. But because of injuries that happened towards the end of the season, it really took them out of contention. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks are the first team that come to mind. You know, they lost both of their starting running backs. They were decimated with the injuries along the offensive line. That's really the only team that I can think of that would have had a chance against the Chiefs because of their you know, the, the amount of firepower that they had on offense, even though their defense wasn't great. Um, but no, I mean, you throw you throw the Packers up against the Chiefs, Chiefs would just absolutely demolish them. Um, so there, when it comes to, you know, that, that matchup we saw last night, the 49ers really were the only team in the NFC that could really hold a candle to what the Chiefs had to offer. Side note, you think that a, a, a Minnesota Vikings team with a healthy Dalvin Cook, like a healthy Dalvin Cook coming into the game, could have competed with the Kansas City Chiefs? I'm going to say no, and I and I say that because the Vikings secondary, I don't want to call them a liability, but they have just been so inconsistent throughout the season. Um, I, I wouldn't trust Trey Waynes and Xavier Rhodes on the outside to be able to handle guys like Tyree Kill, Sammy Watkins, Mecole Hardman. Um, and then on the other side of the ball for the for the Vikings, they've got a great offense, but their offensive line just really did not play very well towards the end of the season. Um, so I think that that Chiefs front seven would certainly be able to get through that offensive line and, and really, really rattle a guy like uh, Cousins. Uh, once again, you tune into the Sports Talk with Big Sarge podcast. I got my friend on, uh, Chris Kennedy from the Fantasy Sports uh, Writer, and he's an analyst for the Fantasy Headliners, co-host of the Fantasy Wolfpack. Great mind, brilliant mind. One of the guys, like I told you all on last week, that I go to when I have questions and concerns and when I'm really looking for you know, someone else to to pull me away and say, look, Big Sarge, look at this picture instead of looking at the one that you're looking at. So I love it. I love talking to you all the time, brother, even if it's just through, you know, social media. Now, with that being said, so I wrote right here, I said, we can dissect Jimmy G later, but can we talk mm -hmm. about how bad uh, Super Bowl MVP Patrick Mahomes played through three quarters? And I say that because although he had a great fourth quarter, fourth quarter, excuse me, for three quarters, he did not look like the reigning NFL MVP from last year. He didn't look like the Patrick Mahomes that we all come to love and enjoy. He looked like he looked average for three quarters. 
He really did. And and I'm going to, I'm going to give that credit to the, the 49ers front seven. Um, they really did a great job of just getting after him all night long. I mean, Nick Bosa had 12 quarterback pressures um, in that game just by himself. Nobody else had more than five the rest of the night. And both of the players that did have five each are on the 49ers. The Chiefs weren't able to really get much pressure onto Jimmy Garoppolo. And what the 49ers did was really impressive because there were a lot of throws that Patrick Mahomes normally can make, but he just either underthrew the wall or just wasn't on target because he wasn't comfortable. Um, now, look, being with that being said, being under pressure, he was much more accurate than Garoppolo was. Now, granted, Mahomes only completed 42 to 43 percent of his passes when he was under pressure, as opposed to when he had a clean pocket. That's when he completed 71 percent of his passes. Um, but you really saw how uncomfortable he was with that pass rush that got to him. Um, so I think that I think come the fourth quarter, Andy Reid really made the right adjustments. But the other thing that I noticed is that the 49ers stopped playing a zone defense. Um, and actually, Tyreek Hill said it. He said, when we saw San Francisco change from a zone to a man, he said, he said my eyes lit up and I thanked God because that's when we, we really would be able to take it to them. And in the fourth quarter, that's exactly what you saw. You saw a lot of blown coverages. Tyreek Hill had that big catch in the fourth quarter. And that's where the Chiefs offense really, really got going. And they scored 21 unanswered. And that's what I couldn't understand. It's like, why would you go away from this if you're Robert Sala, defense coordinator for the San Francisco 49ers? Why would you move away from what had you so successful throughout the first three quarters? Now, I know that, you know, when you got offense in mind, like, uh, office coordinator Eric Bieniemy for the uh, Kansas City Chiefs and a head coach who was office in minded as well, like Andy Reid. Mm -hmm. You would think that they yep. would stick to, you know, you you think I'm sorry, you would think that they would adjust and they did adjust over time. But if you are if if you are being successful with what you're doing and you're stomping them and you're making Patrick Mahomes throw uh, back to back interceptions when you're making him make bad decisions when you're making him throw the ball in the dirt why would you change that and Chris I'm going to be honest with you I haven't heard an explanation on why they switched up in the fourth quarter no I haven't heard anything either and to be honest with you there were a lot of different changes that were made in the fourth quarter you know from the 49ers side of the ball but also with the Chiefs and their defense their defensive coordinator is Steve Spagnola who was the former defensive coordinator for the New York Giants when they won those two Super Bowls against the New England Patriots. They had that NASCAR defense where they just blitzed you nonstop. And that wasn't something that we saw from the Kansas City Chiefs last night until really the fourth quarter. And even then, they didn't blitz as much as I thought they would because, and I know we're going to talk about Jimmy G later, but um, and we'll touch on it a bit, but the, the splits between his accuracy when under pressure and when from throwing with a clean pocket, it's absolutely staggering. So... If I'm Steve Spagnola, I'm putting as much pressure on Garoppolo as I possibly can. Um, and then when you look at the, the 49ers in the fourth quarter, another change they made, they kind of went away from the run. You know, they were dominating on the ground for most of the game. And then they decided to put the game in Jimmy G's hands, even though they were already up by 10 points. Uh, so that's another thing that really kind of, you know, kind of baffled me. Um, I felt like Kyle Shanahan was trying to get too cute, you know, wasn't really – it's almost as if he thought he kind of had the game in hand, but wanted to really stick it to Kansas City a little bit more by putting up more points instead of just doing what got you to the Super Bowl. And that's run the ball and play great defense. The thing that stood out to me when it came to the game was how 
the Kansas City Chiefs defense adjusted as well. I remember Tyra Matthew, the safety for the Kansas City Chiefs, came out and said, when we saw that they weren't running the ball anymore and they started to pass the ball, which put the whole all the pressure on Jimmy G, he was like, we knew that we could win this game. We we were happy to see that they had stopped running the ball. Chris, let me show, let me tell you the last four possessions after the touchdown that put the after the touchdown that put the I mean the San Francisco 49ers up 20 to 10, they went punt, punt, turn it over on downs and an interception. That's after having, uh, you know, scoring 20 points against that Kansas City defense by running the ball, keep running the ball and running the ball and running the ball. So that's the one thing that I could not understand is why would you – it's like that fourth quarter came, and I promise you I seen Kyle Shanahan shrivel all over again. Now, you're a Patriots fan. Chris, did it remind you any – you know, did it remind you of the 28-3 to game? Because as a Patriots fan – you're watching that, and you see that you all are down by 25 points. But you also, uh, when you've seen them score one touchdown, then another touchdown, then back-to-back, I think they had back-to-back two-point conversions in that game, and you all came back and won that. When I say you all, I'm talking about the New England Patriots because you're a fan. Um, they came back and won that game, what was it, 34-28, to 28, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Did you see any similarities to that on last night after they were up 20-10? to 10? Yeah, and so it was actually funny in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, as you know, the the Chiefs, you know, gained just a little bit of momentum because that's that's all they need. They just need a little bit of momentum to really turn things around. We saw it in the Houston game, you know, in, in the divisional round. So when the, you know when when Kansas City scored that first touchdown, um, I kind of looked at my buddy, and I I kind of just gave him this look, and he the first thing out of his mouth was, "Oh no, it's happening!" Like, and I knew exactly what he meant. It was. Kyle Shanahan is going to lose this lead because Patrick Mahomes is too good of a quarterback, the best quarterback in the NFL talent wise, as far as I'm concerned, he's too good. And that offense is too high powered to just, you know, kind of shrivel up and go away in the fourth quarter. Um, So I absolutely saw a lot of similarities uh, from last night's game compared to a few years ago when we saw that, you know, I mean, gosh, that just embarrassing uh, loss by the Falcons. It was like he was trying to make Jimmy G the man, you know, just like he did in against New England. It was like everybody knew Matt Ryan was the NFL MVP. Everybody knew Matt Ryan's stats. You don't have to make him the man. Just win the game. And then on last night, it's like I don't know if he was trying to prove to people that Jimmy G is a good quarterback or or what, but all he did was expose him more. It was. And one thing that and we, I touched on earlier with the, the 49ers running game, they were doing a really, really good job. But the issue was that, you know, even though they were up, they stopped running the ball. Raheem Mostert had 12 rushing attempts. Tevin Coleman had five who was playing with, you know, a previously dislocated shoulder from a few weeks ago. I mean, if I'm the 49ers, I'm giving Mostert the ball at least 20 times in last night's game. Um, Matt Breida didn't even touch the ball, let alone, you know, see very many snaps last night. Um, yet Jimmy G had 31 passing attempts and they just kept throwing the ball, even with that big, you know, that, that double digit lead that they had. Um, so looking at what Kyle Shanahan was doing, I just, and I'm not a head coach, so I'm not going to say that he was right or he was wrong. I just don't understand how you don't, you you don't feed the, you know, the, the, the horse that got you there. 
um, you know, whether it's Mostert, whether it's Coleman, um, you know, even Debo Samuel, you know, he had he had a, a few rushing attempts with some end arounds. Uh, but you guys have the that they have they have the talent behind the, in that backfield to make it happen. Yet he decides to you know try to maybe prove to people that Jimmy G isn't just a game manager. He you know that he's this great quarterback. But last night I saw an, an average quarterback from the San Francisco 49ers. To piggyback off of what you said, you know, when you're talking about the rushing of the San Francisco for the, the rushing offense of the San Francisco 49ers, I was very surprised by the fact that the Kansas City Chiefs decided to rush the ball. What tw- I think they had 29 rushes. Uh, uh, Dave, uh, Williams had 17 rushes for 104 yards and one touchdown. I was surprised that Andy Reid stuck with what he learned in the Tennessee Titans game, which was the uh, AFC championship game because in the AFC championship game, and we discussed this on last week, you remember the uh, Mike Vrabel was like, okay, well, we're not going to allow you to beat us. So we're going to drop eight people into coverage. If you're going to beat us, you're going to have to run the ball. And so Andy mm-hmm. Reid and, and Eric B. was like, okay, we'll run the ball then. And so on last night, it's almost like the 49ers tried to take that same page out of out of their playbook and say, well, if you're going to beat us, you're not going to beat us passing the ball. We're not going to let Patrick Mahomes get out here and throw for over 500 yards in this Super Bowl game. We will not be embarrassed. So if you're going to beat us, you're going to have to beat us by running the ball. And that's exactly what they did. They ran the ball. Now, you know that I had a Twitter conversation with one of our friends on today when I said that the 49ers' great run defense, and I was only talking about the postseason. Because in the postseason, mm-hmm. I think you even posted that they they had only given up eighty three yards rushing in the two games, correct? Right, that's correct. They gave up. I think they only they gave up twenty one yards to Dalvin Cook, who was did he come in second or third as far as the uh, NFL rushing is concerned? Rushing league. Uh, he was, yeah, he was definitely top top three or top five behind uh, Derrick Henry and Nick Chubb. Yeah, because he I remember he got hurt and he had to sit out a couple of games. And so that so that's what I was talking about. I was like, they had this great, you know, this great defense who were giving up less than four, you know, fresh four rushing yards per attempt. And then you come in and you're playing against a team who their primary goal is that I think that the only the only reason they have a running back sometimes is to make you think that they're gonna run the ball. Their primary purpose is to pass, 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 pass. And so for them to have you know, 129 yards rushing on last night was very impressive to me, especially against that front seven of the, the San Francisco 49ers, which, like I said, who had been great in the last two playoff games. But am I missing something here, Chris? No, because even even throughout the regular season, the 49ers defense against just running backs alone, they only they only allowed about 80 rushing yards per game to running backs. So. I mean, their biggest weakness was when facing mobile quarterbacks and, you know, kind of trick plays when it comes to jet sweeps, end arounds, things like that. And it doesn't happen super often. Um, so that's where you get that, you know, 100 plus rushing yards per game that they that they allowed. So it was more middle of the pack. But when you look at just running backs, they were one of the more stingy defenses against running backs throughout the regular season. And then that just continued into the postseason as well. So, I mean, the, the 49ers... Yes, if there's a way to attack their defense, it is on the ground because their secondary has just played so well because the pass rush is able to get to the quarterback so quickly. Um, but even though that, yes, you can still run on them, you're not, you know, by running on them, you might get 75 to 80 yards. You're not running for a buck 20. 
Yeah, and, and that's the same thing that I said. It's like you're not going to just run all over them like that. So I was very impressed by the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, running attack on last night. And like I said, they learned. That's the one thing that I've noticed about them, you know, within these within these last three games that they played in the postseason. Every time they got down, they were like, okay, we're good. We, we can come back from any deficit that we are. It's, they they're like the uh they're like the the Golden State Warriors of football. When Golden State was healthy, when they, you know, with Curry, Durant, Thompson, uh um Thompson and um Draymond Green, you know, mm-hmm. uh Clay Thompson said that listen, we're not out of any games. He said, you know, uh, he said if you look up and see us down by 15, he said, that's five shots to us. And five shots is nothing. He said, we can erase a 15-point deficit within a minute. He said, that's how many, you know, we can come back from that. And that's how I look at the Kansas City Chiefs. It's like they can erase a deficit so quickly, just like they did last night, you know, scoring the 21 points quickly. All of a sudden, you look up, and he's like, wow, I didn't realize that they had scored 21 points that fast. But I... I I definitely understand being someone who's a you know beat writer for the Houston Texans. I remember the game that they were down to the Houston Texans and erased that lead with in nine and a half minutes. They erased that that twenty four point lead in nine and a half minutes. And so, looking at the game last night, I was just like what you said earlier. I knew that they were going to come back. I didn't know if they were going to come back and win because of how good the San Francisco Forty ers you know, or as a team, as a whole, and as a well-coached team, which I thought before Kyle Shanahan. And I know that people are going to say, well, he's the head coach, but he doesn't run everything. Well, it always, the onus always falls on the top. I mean, when you look mm-hmm. at, you look at Bill, Bill O'Brien here for uh, head coach and now general manager for the Houston Texans. He doesn't run everything. He has assistants and coordinators and things like that. But at the end of the day, Everything falls back on him. The the losses fall back on him. The wins get distributed out. The credit gets distributed out to everybody else. So that's why I keep coming back and harping on Kyle Shanahan. And plus, he's been in this in this situation before. So I'm looking at it as, wow. Now, uh, Chris, I also want to talk to you about Jimmy G. As I remember a couple of weeks ago, they were crucifying the Patriots for getting rid of him. But after watching him in this playoff run, in this Super Bowl run, they did the right thing, right? I I will say this. I think that Jimmy G, um, I don't I don't know if this is the right system for him in San Francisco. Um, and I say that because he's he's surrounded with a lot of receivers that um, have a very high A dot, a very high average depth of target. You know, guys who are going to run a lot of vertical routes. You know, not necessarily possession receivers. And what we saw last night from Jimmy G is that he doesn't, he hasn't really developed that touch of the football yet. He's not a guy that can just, you know, throw it over the top and drop it in the bread basket. Um, on deep passes last night, he went um, 0 for 3 with two interceptions. And on deep pass attempts, I mean, anything 20 yard, targeted 20 yards or more downfield, he went 0 for 3 with two interceptions. Um, there was one play in particular um, that he threw deep to Debo Samuel that. Tebow Samuel had a couple of steps on the on on the defenders, and Garoppolo just completely overthrew him, and it probably would have gone for a touchdown. So, 
that's where Garoppolo really has been struggling so far is that deep ball. Um, so I'm sure that they're going to, he'll work on it in the off season. They'll, they're going to see what works out next season. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if somewhere, maybe a year or two down the road, they kind of change up that receiving core to fit his game a little bit better and get him some bigger targets, some guys that are more possession receivers, as opposed to, you know, like a Tyree kill streaker. George Kittle. We talked about him on last week at being one of the matchups that, that we were going to look forward to was George Hill versus Tyron Matthews safety for the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. What what happened? And I know that, you know, we just got through talking about Jimmy G. But what happened, Chris? Why couldn't they get him involved? He had 36 yards receiving on four catches last night. And so for the playoffs, he's only had 71 yards combined receiving. You're talking about a guy who was an integral part of their offense, who was an all-pro, who made the Pro Bowl, who had over 1,000 yards receiving, and now you can't get him the ball. What happened? I think a lot of it actually had to do with the Kansas City Chiefs uh, pass rush. I think that you know George Kittle really did need to stay in there and and block. Uh, out, of, out of any non-offensive line position, um, he was the one on the field between both teams that was back there as a blocker, whether it was more of a pass blocker or a run blocker. Um, he played 27 snaps as a blocker last night, and that showed in his receiving uh, you know, stats last night as well because he only had, I think, four catches, five catches for 30 yards. He was targeted seven times. And when you look at the other side of the ball, you, know, you see uh, Travis Kelsey. Yeah, he was only targeted six times, but he caught all six passes including a touchdown. Um, so I think that with George Kittle, they were so concerned with that pass rush that he's the best blocking tight end in the game. So they had to keep him back in there to make sure that Jimmy G did have a clean pocket um, because when he was under pressure, he uh, I think he had one completion out of nine attempts. He went one for nine when he was being pressured through two interceptions. But he, when he actually had a clean pocket, he had an 86 completion percentage. So that was for me personally, I'm going to say Kittle was not as involved offensively because he had to save Jimmy G's butt too many times. Once again, you tuned into the sports talk with big Sarge podcast. I'm your host, big Sarge, along with Chris Kennedy. He is a fantasy sports writer and analyst for the fantasy headliners and co-host of the fantasy Wolfpack. Oh, on the dynasty wide sports. Don't ask me why I'm going to keep like, I have to do that now. I don't know why, bro, but I just have to do. I'm, it. I'm not going to stop you. <laughs> it just seems like <laughs> to do. Now, uh, Chris, you, you you and I have you know followed each other, been a part of you know the same entity for a very long time. So you know the one thing about me is that I love to side note because I'm old and my mind tends to wonder. <laughs> things just pop up. And Chris, as you get older, as you keep saying good morning and get to be my age moving forward. You will have these moments at, uh, as well. I oh, I could never understand why old people just blurt things out until I started getting older. I was like, oh, that's because if they don't say it now, they ain't going to remember it again until like three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and just blurt that thing out. So, side note. Yep. Why was it an offensive pass interference on George Kittle last night on that on that deep pass before the end of the second half and not offensive pass interference when uh, Kyle Rudolph for the Minnesota Vikings pushed off in the New Orleans Saints game. Now, before you answer that, I can answer my own question 
and I will mm-hmm. answer it, and I want to hear your answer, but I already know. The NFL hates the Saints, bro. That, it just gets point yeah. The NFL hates the Saints. I, I'm going to say, I mean, and I'll, I'll touch on the, the Kyle Rudolph one first because, you know, when you're watching that game, I mean, it's just completely blatant that his arms are extended. You see the defender kind of get pushed back like a rag doll for a second, and then Kyle Rudolph just gets that touchdown. Um, last night with George Kittle, and George Kittle didn't have to push off. I mean, after watching that play, he didn't have to actually extend his arms. He had the position. He probably still could have come down with that ball, um, but he just felt like he needed that extra separation and and decided to extend those arms. So I, I don't think he had to do it. Um, Kyle Rudolph, on the other hand, did actually have to because if he didn't interfere with that defender, he would not have caught that ball. And can you see why now the Saints fans stay so mad at the NFL because you go back and you're looking at these things and you're saying, why not again? And I don't know, like, how do you get cursed in your own city? I know that like New Orleans and the state of Louisiana, there's always been this thing about this voodoo that they have going on. And I'm mm-hmm. saying to myself, you, you know, Case Keenum closed his eyes and threw a pass <laughs> to complete to Stefan Diggs and you lost the game in the last 13 seconds. The next year you lose on a blatant offensive pass interference in the NFC Championship game. Then you come back and you lose again on a blatant offensive pass interference. It's almost like, what's next? And I don't know if if Roger Goodell and the rest of the NFL commit, uh, uh, rules committee is like, we're going to keep doing this until – and I know that – now listen, I, I'm just joking around. Roger Goodell and the offici- officials are not – I don't have any information saying that they – have a personal vendetta against the New Orleans Saints. It just looks that way because every year now you're almost waiting like, okay, so the last two years ended in them getting cheated. What's next? I can almost see them fumbling the ball, right, getting back on it at the end of the game, and then they give the ball to the other team, the other team scores a touchdown, and then they advance and they put the Saints out. And it's funny because if it if it was if it happened like if maybe there was a you know an instance where they got you know cheated fifteen years ago and then it happened again three years ago then it'd be like all right well you know it's just it's a coincidence you know there's there's nothing to it but this has happened two years in a row in the playoffs one of them that could have advanced them to the Super Bowl so yeah if I'm if I'm the New Orleans Saints and their fan base I'm I'm pretty salty myself how impressed were you with Tyreek Hill and I'm gonna tell you. That I was very impressed. I knew coming off of what the New England Patriots did to him last year in the AFC Championship game, I felt he had something to prove in this game. And he had nine catches for 105 yards for 11.7 yards uh, a catch average. So I felt like he had something to prove coming into the Super Bowl. I can't honestly say that I thought he would perform. I knew he would stretch the field, but I didn't think he would perform like he did. And when the, on that third and 15 play where he got wide open, Chris, you are, uh, like I said earlier, you are a savant. You watch film, you know the stats. Did you see the breakdown of that play on how he got wide open like that? Yeah, so it was. It really was just a, a broken coverage, and he found a soft spot in the in the zone, um, and that's that's really how he got so open. Um, you know, watching him, he throughout the game, he really did kind of have you know his his moments here and there. Um, but then after I was starting to really look at the numbers first thing this morning, I didn't realize he had 16 targets. 
he had almost as many targets as Jimmy Garoppolo had completions. Uh, <laughs> I mean, not, nine catches on 16 targets is absolutely – I mean, that's that's kind of like Julian Edelman numbers that we see in the playoffs. Um, yeah. But that – but as you mentioned, that catch in the fourth quarter – you know, that really is kind of what gave that gave the Chiefs, you know, that extra oomph, that extra momentum going forward because it extended the drive. They eventually ended up scoring. Um, but that play right there where the, the defense did, they, they broke down. There was miscommunication in the secondary because Tyreek Hill's fast, but it wasn't like he was just running, you know, a streak and he caught the ball and kept on going. I mean, he just found the soft spot in that zone and just kind of, you know, not necessarily sat down there in that zone, um, but there was no one else around him. And Tyree Kill is the one guy that you have to make sure that you're holding accountable outside of Travis Kelsey. Um, but yeah, when, when Hill's being targeted 16 times throughout the game, you would think the defense is like, all right, we should probably, you know, bracket coverage this guy, you know, put a quarterback and a safety on him just to make sure that he doesn't break free. And that was Emmanuel Mosley's responsibility to drop back into the deep thirds, correct? It was, and actually, uh, and Mosley is the one who was targeted the most in that game last night. Um, he was targeted eight times, allowed six receptions for 80 yards. Wow. And so when I went back and I looked at that play, though, and I was like, to me, Chris, I'm saying to myself, even if he drops into the deep thirds, Tyreek Hill is still going to be open. And I and I say that because when he – he turned the safety. And look, I used to play safety in high school. Here's my Al Bundy moment, okay? You remember Al Bundy from Married with Children? Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah, so here's my Al Bundy moment, all right? When I played safety in, in high school, one of the things that I was taught was the moment you open up your hips, the moment you open up your hips, you better be running with the receiver. You know, you better be running with the receiver or you better be doing something that's going to affect the play but the moment you open up your hips and you are going the opposite way or you're going the other way you've lost on that play like you're beat when i seen him when i seen Tariq hill come at the safety stop on a dime and go back the other way if you look at the play the safety has opened up his hips to turn and run up the field so I'm saying to myself, as soon as I seen that replay and I seen him open up his hips and turn all the way around, I was like, he's beat. And so even if Ty even if uh, Emmanuel Mosley drops into the deep thirds, Tyreek Hill is still behind him now. And he's still, in, in my opinion, he's still wide open. But you got to give, you know, like I said, office coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs, Eric Bieniemy, and uh, Andy Reid, that play that was called, did you see how Sammy Watkins made Emmanuel Mosley commit to him? Yeah, which actually was really surprising because when you, I mean, not to take anything away from, from Sammy Watkins, but he's not the guy in that offense that I'm really concerned about that much. You know, like you're, you're worried about Kelsey. You're worried about, um, you know, you're worried about Tyreek Hill. Uh, I know that Miko Harden went, went out with an injury. Um, but yeah, Sammy Watkins is kind of like that third, fourth guy where you're, you're kind of worried about. So I was, I was very surprised that Mosley reacted and, and really bit as quickly as he did. That, that, that trick play on, uh, fourth and one right there uh, near the goal line in the red zone that Eric Benemy says he got from a 1940, was it 1946, 49 Rose, Rose Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I'm, I'm yep. saying to myself, when I seen the play, I was like, oh, this is Andy Reid all the way. And then when, because I didn't think that Eric Benemy would go back that far because I'm just thinking Andy Reid is old. I'm pretty sure that's a play that he probably studied. But to hear Eric Benemy come out and say 
that they studied that. I mean, that they have watched that play, and he's been waiting for an opportunity to put it in. Now, I know you don't want to hear this, but it sounded like—I mean, it looked kind of like the Philly special, right? Yeah. Yeah. It did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, uh, uh, another another thing that I wanted to uh, to talk about is it hurt my heart. I didn't want the San Francisco 49ers to win because, um, you know, like I said, I want to be a troll to my friend. But mm-hmm. I did want them to win because of Richard Sherman. I am a huge Richard yep. Sherman fan. Like, if I had, if they said you can only get one jersey from each team and it comes up San Francisco 49ers, I'm like, yeah, I'm taking Richard Sherman's jersey only because I like everything about him. And we talked about him on last week. But, Chris, how did he end up having such a bad game in the biggest moment? It's it's tough to say because – and you can't even say it was, well, you know, he had he had to deal with, with Tyreek Hill. He didn't because Tyreek Hill plays in the slot. Richard Sherman doesn't cover that area of the field. Uh, you know, Richard Sherman was targeted the second most number of times in a game between both teams. Five times, gave up five receptions for 72 yards. 30 of those yards were after the catch. So, uh, I mean, it, it was – it was more of an anomaly because Sherman had such a good season throughout the regular season and the playoffs as well. And then on the biggest stage, I mean, I don't want to say that he laid an egg, but he just was not the Richard Sherman that we've been used to seeing. Did it look like, uh, did it look like Kansas city had studied his weaknesses and found out where they could, where he was vulnerable at and what his weak spot was? I think, I think they had to have, uh, to be honest with you, because, when you look at, you know, kind of the, the, the Chiefs production, you know, last night, yeah, the, mo- the majority of it was, you know, on, on the ground. Um, but Patrick Mahomes came to life in that fourth quarter. And I noticed in the fourth quarter, that's when they really kind of started to pick on Sherman. So I don't know if they saw that he was getting fatigued, that he was getting a little bit tired. But I noticed in the fourth quarter, they really did start throwing his direction a lot more. Was it uh, the, the, the long pass that set up the um... – the, the the touchdown at the end of the game, well, uh, to to the Travis Kelsey touchdown. That touchdown was it? Uh, was that Sammy Watkins that blew by him for the long pass? And I'm sorry, I'm having a brain fart. Yes, right yes, it was. I can't remember who it was that that blew by him and caught that long pass. And I don't know if that was the no, that was the touchdown. That I mean, that was the uh, drive that put them up twenty four to twenty. On on that uh, that drive, so Sammy Watkins blew by him for that long reception. Did that remind you of the game prior in the NFC Championship game? Remember, Devontae Adams ran that exact same play against Richard Sherman, and I'm saying to myself, that's good film study because they ran the exact same play that had Richard Sherman trailing Devontae Adams in the NFC Championship game, and they ran it on that same drive. Yeah, because it was actually, it was, yeah, fourth quarter, and I think there was, there was like four minutes left, I think, in last night's game, and yeah, it was Sammy Watkins who got that, like, 40-yard pass along along the right side, and Sherman got beat, they had to rely on the safety, it was either, I think it was Jimmy Ward, because Tart plays on the other side, so Jimmy Ward is the one who had to come over and make that tackle, Um, but that was, I think, one of the longest uh, receptions by Sammy Watkins in quite a long time. He almost had 100 yards receiving, I was impressed. I was like, wow, well, look at that. And so, 
Um, and you know, at a later date, we can definitely talk about the honey badger and how proud I am of him. I don't know if you've seen the tweet where he said he can't wait for his dad to call for prison because he knew that they had all 321 televisions turned to the Super Bowl last night, and he was just glad he was able to play play like that. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. Before we move on, do you think that the Chiefs can be the new Patriots if they can keep everyone together? If they if they can keep everyone intact. Can they be the new Patriots and build a dynasty? But you and I talked earlier, and you told me that they may not have enough cap space to keep everybody together, correct? Yeah, so Patrick Mahomes' contract uh, is – he. I believe he becomes a free agent in 2021. So he's going to be looking for an extension most likely next season. And right now, as it stands, the Chiefs will have about $19 million in cap space. Um, which is not a lot. Both the, both the 49ers and the Chiefs are well below the league average when it comes to uh, available cap space. And if you look at the Chiefs players who have expiring contracts, um, there, there are so, some names out there that I know they're probably just not going to uh, you know, uh, retain, like Terrell Suggs, uh, LaShawn McCoy. You know, those are two more aging veterans that are taking up a decent amount of cap space that they're probably just going to let walk. Um, you know, they have guys like Brashad Breland at corner, Morris Claiborne as well. They're going to be free agents. The one guy that they're really going to try to lock up is going to be Chris Jones, their defensive end. He's only 26 years old and he's going to be looking to get paid. And I can see the chiefs, you know, opening up their, their checkbook to make sure that they get him back. Um, with that being said, I mean, what else can you do to really make sure that you can give Patrick Mahomes that contract? Because, I, I don't want to compare him to somebody like Tom Brady who made a career out of taking pay cuts and giving the home, you know, that kind of home field uh, discount, home team mm-hmm. discount to the New England Patriots just so that they can win, you know, acquire other players and just focus on winning. If the Chiefs had lost last night, I could see Mahomes maybe taking a pay cut and saying, you know what, I just want to build this team. I want to get back to the Super Bowl next year. I want to win it. He has his ring now. He's won. Um, he's the youngest player to ever win uh, the league MVP, win a Super Bowl, and win a, the Super Bowl MVP at 24 years old. So I, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, guess on his character and who he is as a person. But I don't know if he'd be willing to take that pay cut to really improve the rest of the team and to maybe acquire some certain pieces. So. Um, that's going to be something interesting to see because, like I said, they're dealing with less than $20 million in cap space, where in the NFL, that's not a lot of money. Um, so they really are going to have to when – when it comes to areas of, of opportunity for this team, um, I would absolutely think about acquiring another pass catcher. Um, I think they really need to improve their, their run defense. So if they can shore up that interior line at de- defensive tackle – uh, to make sure that they don't give up 120 rushing yards a game, that's going to be a priority as well. Um, we did see that their quarterbacks were really good against wide receivers. I think they could certainly improve a little bit more, so maybe their secondary can improve. So there are certain areas where they really could use some additional depth, uh, but again, they, they don't have a ton of money to do it. So it'll be interesting to see what they do this offseason, uh, but I could see them you know, kind of I can see them shaving some some contracts in order to make extra cap space so that they can give Mahomes that extension. 
would it be and I want to ask you about you know on the other side which is the 49ers and their you know cap space availability and what they're going to have coming back but you know in listening to you you know break down that it got me to thinking if you are the if you are the Kansas City Chiefs are you thinking well maybe we don't have to sign him to an extension just yet when I'm talking about Patrick Mahomes can they just franchise tag him yeah, that's also that's also another option as well. Um, but again, when you think about franchising, fran- the franchise tag, that's still going to eat up a lot of their cap space because he's going to be getting, um, you know, a, a you know double digit millions of dollars um, in that in that one that one deal. So um, it, it really, I think the best move for him would be to uh, either you know find a way to restructure, sign an extension, but you know, kind of make it more uh, back ended where you sign a five-year extension, but the bulk of that money would be like years three, four, and five, or years four and five. So you get most of the money then, and it allows your team to really kind of keep on winning over the next two to three seasons. Because he's making, what, a base salary of 735000 a year right now, correct? Something, something yeah. in that ballpark. You may not know the exact figure, but something in that ballpark, correct? Right, because he's still on that rookie contract. I'm interested to see that once he, because you know, I I believe that Patrick Mahomes will be the first fifty million dollar a year player. That I I'm just totally sold on the fact that they're going to have to pay him fifty million dollars a year, which means that Deshaun Watson is going to make at least forty five, and Lamar Jackson will probably make forty eight. And you're going to look at Russell Wilson. He's going to try to look for one more big contract. He's going to get within that range. And if Dak can win a Super Bowl, he'd be right up. He's going to be right up there too. He's going to demand some type of money. Even if they give him a contract, if they don't franchise tag him and give him a contract right now, if he wins the Super Bowl within the next two years, he's going to ask for some money. So I can see Patrick Mahomes becoming the first $50 million a year player. And this is where my pettiness kicks in, Chris. I guarantee you the moment he signs that contract paying him that amount of money for the whole year, his mm-hmm. his testicles are going to drop and he's finally going to get some bass in his voice. Like he's finally going to be, he's going to go from, yeah, you know, we, uh, you know, Andy called a great game and uh, Eric, you know, I just listen. And once he signed a contract, he's going to be like, yeah, so uh, when Tyreek was coming out <laughs> and making the, the move right here and right there, like it, it seems like he's just going to go through puberty the moment he puts his name on the contract, right? I hope so, because uh, actually a, r- a reporter by the name of James Palmer tweeted this out last night. He said, I asked my man Mitchell Schwartz, who's an offensive tackle for the Chiefs. He's like, I asked my man Mitchell Schwartz after the game, is there anything Patrick Mahomes can't do? And Schwartz replied with, and I quote, yeah, talk without his voice sounding like a frog, but that's it, end quote. <laughs> <laughs> so so yes let's hope that this next this let's hope that this big contract you know drops the octave a few a few tones for him <laughs> and, and i'm so here for it because i remember they came when they came to play the uh houston texans i think i may have talked about this on last week but when they came to play the houston texans and this is when alex smith was still playing for the kansas city chiefs so there was mm-hmm. a lot of uh, reporters around him uh him being patrick mahomes couple around him and you know i i just want to ask the question hey how do you feel you know being back in texas you know and you having your family here and when i heard him talk in person i was just like 
wow, how old are you again? I'm thinking to myself, like my my 15 year old has a deeper voice than you do. But I was like, you know, oh well. I moved on over to talk to um, uh, what is the kicker's name? Is it But Butker? Out of Georgia, Harrison right? Butker. Out of Georgia. Yep. And I went over to talk to him because earlier that week, like the week prior, he had kicked the game-winning field goal. And so when we talked to Alex Smith um, during the press conference, you know, I was like, well, how impressed are you of the rookie being, you know, of the rookie kicking the game when he's like, no, nobody cares about that. He's still a rookie. So, you know, right. Hey, you know, he just did his job. And as a rookie, that's what he's supposed to do. So I, I had to make sure that I told, uh, that I told him that on what Alex Smith had said. And he was like, he started laughing. He's like, yeah, he's right though. So anyway, as I digress, uh, you talked about the cap space when it comes to the Kansas City Chiefs. What about the cap space when it comes to the San Francisco 49ers? Because to be honest with you, Chris, I don't see these two teams, and you know, we'll talk about that in a second. I don't see these two teams matching back up in the Super Bowl again. And the reason why is, you know, in two, like I said, I think it was 2016. The Dallas Cowboys had an easy schedule and they went 13 and 3. They just didn't make it to the Super Bowl. That following year, the Philadelphia Eagles played that same easy schedule, made it to the Super Bowl and won. The next year, the Rams played that easy schedule, made it to the Super Bowl and lost. And the 49ers this year, their first eight games that they played against were against teams who didn't make the playoffs. So they were already 8 0 and had a jump on everybody, and they did not win. Next year, the schedule gets harder. And I don't know what team. It may be the Cleveland Browns that may have a great, great year. It could be the Carolina Panthers because those teams who didn't make the playoffs, their schedule is going to get easier. Could be, could be the Atlanta Falcons. And so I don't see these two teams playing again. I definitely don't see San Francisco being back in the Super Bowl. But also, are they going to lose a ton of players this year? So they're not going to they're not going to lose a ton of key players. The issue for them is kind of the same boat as the Chiefs. The San Francisco 49ers have about 21 million dollars in cap space and a lot of that right now is being eaten up of course by Jimmy G, you know, who's averaging about 28 million a year. Uh D Ford, who's, you know, still fairly young, you know, he's getting 17 a year. The one thing I've noticed is Joe Staley, yellow left tackle um for the 49ers, 35 years old. And he's averaging about $14 million a year. He's scheduled to make, uh, I believe, $10 million next year and $11 million the year after. Um, so at 37 years old, he's still going to be getting paid by the 49ers. So that's taking up a good chunk of their, of their salary as well. Um, now, when you look at who's actually going to be leaving the team this year or who will be a free agent at the end of the year, Emmanuel Sanders, who's 32, 33 years old, he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. Um, I think I could definitely see him going elsewhere. Uh, you have fullback Kyle Usyk, who I would actually try to I would try to retain him if I'm the 49ers. I think he's the best fullback in the NFL. Um, and then outside of that, you know, you have other guys that I'm okay with letting go. Uh, Arik Armstead is somebody who I think they sure, certainly should retain, um, but they don't have a lot of other big name players that I would say, okay, you have to, you know, try to get this guy back. So at the end of the day, they'll probably have you know 25 million in cap space. Um, and for and for the San Francisco 49ers, for them, I think there are a few different options. Um, I think that they should try to get find a way to get out of Jarek McKinnon's contract because he has done absolutely nothing for them since they gave him that big payday two years ago. Um, but then also, you know, they have plenty of running backs. 
wide receiver, I'm okay with, you know, uh, their offensive line could use a little bit of help. Um, but on the defensive side of the ball, I think shoring up that secondary. Um, I know that their pass defense was really good this year, but Richard Sherman's getting a little bit older. You know, I think that he's somebody that they could try to find a younger replacement for over the next couple of years. Would um, you make him a Jimmy War? I was just going to say, we saw it with, uh, excuse me, with, with Devin McCourty with the Patriots, started his career as a quarterback and then actually played much better uh, later in his career as a safety. So you could move Richard Sherman to safety, you know, find something to do with, with Jimmy Ward, because I do prefer uh, Tart over, over Jimmy Ward, and then find a younger cornerback that isn't necessarily going to be uh, restricted to just one side of the field, somebody that can move around and actually follow the other team's best wide receiver. Uh, which you really kind of need that shutdown corner in today's kind of game. So those are a couple of things that I think that they could do. But again, both teams are going to be hindered by cap space. So they're going to have to get kind of creative on how to free up some extra money this year. That's going, and, and like I said, that's going to be very interesting now. And I really like the fullback from the San Francisco 49ers. Isn't he the highest paid? If I'm not mistaken, he's the highest paid fullback in the league, right? I think so. And if he, if he's not, he absolutely should be because I mean, he's for the last, you know, handful of years, um, the fullback position is something that has really just kind of gone away. You know, I remember the days of the, the Buccaneers with Mike Allstott and you don't see guys like that anymore. Kyle Usyk is really the next closest guy to a Mike Allstott. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, do you see them at going back? But do you see the 49ers having any a chance of getting back to the Super Bowl? Oh, they, yeah. They, I mean, they absolutely have a chance. I think that they are going to um, run into a little bit more difficulty next season. I mean, granted, we don't know what's going to happen with injuries and free agency and whatnot. Um, but I can certainly see if the Seattle Seahawks can improve that defense, they're going to be right there in the mix. The Minnesota Vikings, if they can kind of shore up that offensive line and they decide that they actually want to uh, start throwing the ball to Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs, they're going to be a team that's going to be right back in the mix. I still think the Packers are pretenders. You know, I don't think that they're a legit competition. Um, I, I think that they got, I don't want to say they got lucky this year, um, but that team was uh, easily uh, ridden by, by Aaron Jones and that offensive line. So the Packers will probably still be in it, but um, I really do like the, the Minnesota Vikings, um, you know, offensive line and if they can kind of fix that secondary, but yeah, the Vikings and the Seahawks will be my two picks to really contend with the 49ers. Uh, do a little uh, before we before we leave. I want to do a little rapid fire with you. So let's start from here. Uh, give me your way too early Super Bowl prediction. Oh gosh, uh, way too early is going to be the Seattle Seahawks are going to represent the NFC, and I'm going. I'm I'm going to be a homer. I'm going to say my New England Patriots. They're going to re-sign Tom Brady. They're going to add a couple of pass catchers. And they'll be right back in the Super Bowl in 2021. I have the Dallas Cowboys because I believe in Mike McCarthy, and I think he's going to turn that team around, going mm -hmm. against the Baltimore Ravens. I think that they're going to finally get it together coming into next season and give the Kansas City Chiefs a run for their run for their money. I can see, and like, I know we're all praising Andy Reid right now and how great he is. And, you know, he's a feel-good story. He went from being the big, Big kid from the punt, pass, and kick competition to you know being the happy, love, lovely cheeseburger, double, double meat eating, double, cheeseburger, <laughs> <laughs> you know, fluffy, walrus coach that we all love. So, but I see him, yeah. you know, 
having a meltdown when it comes to time management. I don't think that he's fixed his time management issues. And next year, I think that that's going to cost them a game again. So, yes, I see the Dallas Cowboys versus the Baltimore Ravens in Tampa where the halftime show will consist of Celine Dion and Mark Anthony since we're always catering to people who love to go to Vegas. Did you watch the halftime last night? I did. I did. And did it was – I mean, visually, I loved it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah I mean, I, I'm not a big fan of, of artists that lip sync. I real, I, like, I just love performers who can actually sing live, eat whether they're dancing or not, and put on a good show. The, I mean, don't get me wrong. Shakira and J-Lo put on a, a super wicked, entertaining show. Uh, but I just kind of wish they actually sang their own songs instead of just mouth the words. I had a big issue with it, Chris, because this year the NFL decided that they were going to cater to the culture of Miami, which is, mm-hmm. you know, a, a lot of people, I think it's over, what, 70% that's of Latin descent in the city of Miami. So I get it. You know, I, I get it. And I understand you bring out J-Lo, you bring out Shakira. I wish we could have been Pitbull, been there. But I also would have liked to see if Rick Ross was available, if he would have done it. I would like to see him, too. My issue and my problem was is that, one, Shakira and J-Lo, to me, is a Vegas show. I'm going to be totally honest with you. Like, I can see that if that show was in Vegas and I was in Vegas, I'd be like, oh, I'll definitely go see that in Vegas. I didn't want to see that for Super Bowl halftime. And like I said, I know that they're catering to the culture of Miami, but my issue and my problem was, as an African-American male, I'm thinking to myself, Chris, well, what about when you were in Chocolate City on last year in Atlanta and you gave us Maroon 5? Like, I don't know. Like, are you catering to Alpharetta maybe? Maybe, you know, out there, Cobb County somewhere? Who are you catering to Then, if the city of Atlanta is over 70% African-American, and not only that, they have put out some great music. Like, So So Deaf could have did a 20-year, I mean, could have did a halftime show where everybody would have still been able to relate to the music. But you gave us, you gave us Big Boy for one and a half songs. You gave us Travis Scott for one song. And then you brought out Adam Levine and the best thing that anybody remembers from that show. And I'm a Maroon 5 fan. But the only thing people remember is him taking off his shirt. So that's the issue that I had. I I agree. And honestly, if, if you know, where we were talking about last year with Atlanta, I mean, you have so many really good, you know, artists that could have performed. I mean, you could have brought out, like, I mean, you know, you could have brought out T.I. You could have had Ludacris. You could have, you could have brought back Usher if you wanted to. You know, you could have had so many better options than, than shirtless Adam Levine. <laughs> exactly. All right. NFL Awards was this past uh, this past weekend, did Josh Jacobs, the rookie running back out of the uh, out of Oakland, well now Las Vegas, you think he got cheated mm-hmm. out of offensive rookie of the year? I don't. I, I actually think he was he was third in my book. Um, I think if for first it could have gone to either Kyler Murray or AJ Brown of the Tennessee Titans, mm-hmm. and I would have been okay with either either of them winning. Um, but if if Jacobs did win it, then I thought that one of the other two would have been would have been the snub. Yeah, and. I- I like Kyler Murray. I call I call uh, the Arizona Cardinals the Arizona Red Raiders, you know, because of mm-hmm. Cliff Kingsbury. And so I like I like what the the Arizona Red Raiders have done. I think that in two years, if they put the parts around Kyler Murray based off of what they have and what I've seen this this past year, I think that they could really be a good team and they could compete for at least a wild card spot. 
and what Kyle Murray came onto the scene and did this year, I, I really liked it. But I was also impressed by the fact that, you know, Josh Jacobs played with, what, a separated shoulder or something the entire second half of the season? He was injured. And they didn't shut him down to the end when they were pretty much out of playoff contention. But before that, he was there. And, yes, I'm a huge uh, A.J. Brown fan. It's A.J. Brown, correct, out of Tennessee Titans? Mm. For the Tennessee Titans? Mm-hmm. He kept yeah, out of, uh, out of Ole Miss. And that's what I was just about to ask you, Chris. I was about to side note and say, when you have players like uh, Metcalf and Brown coming out of Ole Miss, how come they weren't better? I think I because it, I, I want to say the quarterback was Chad Kelly at Ole Miss um, for a couple of years. And that certainly was going to probably hinder the offense. Um, I forget who their who their quarterback was uh, the the their their final season in college before they declared. T- T- but T- I remember. I, I remember. Hmm? It was it was uh, Tiamu uh, the Tiamu him and because uh, he got a uh, he played he was third string quarterback here for the uh, Texans for a minute after Joe Webb got hurt. So it's a uh, I can't remember it's something something Tiamu him and. Uh, Tua out of Alabama, they're best friends. Okay, all right, yeah, but he wasn't like he wasn't a barn burner, nothing like that. And I didn't mean to just throw you on the spot like that because you know I I I just think about different random things like that. I was like, and they had Laramie Tunsil, if I'm not mistaken, as a you know as a uh, offensive lineman. That team should have been better, but I guess when you're playing in the juggernaut. And you're playing against a juggernaut like Alabama every year. There's no possible way, no matter what type of talent that you have on the team, where they're going to be that good. Last thing I have for you. Were you impressed by the Tom Brady Hulu commercial? Or was it just a, ah, eh, he set everybody up and got everybody interested, making them think he was going to make some announcement. But at the end of the day, it was just about Hulu. So... When I saw when I saw Tommy Troll's ad, I was a little upset. Um, he did. He trolled us. We got all got excited. But one thing I will say that I will say this: He said, you know, he said, you know, I have a message to my teammates, and then he went on to say fans, blah 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 blah. I'm not going anywhere. So if he says, you know, he's saying I'm not going anywhere, and he's addressing it to his teammates. I'm, that's that's me thinking he's leaning towards returning to the Patriots. We know he's not going to retire because he's already come out and said, I'm not retiring. I still have more to prove. I still have something left in the tank. So when he said, I'm not going anywhere, but he referenced his teammates, that's when I kind of, my ears perked up and I was like, all right, well, maybe he doesn't really want $30 million a year. Maybe he's willing to take 24 to 25 and, and resign with New England. Yeah, I'm interested to see how that's, going to turn out I, I i but i love the fact that tom is trolling everyone like i love that i'm I'm like you know brings a little bit of excitement to the game and you know i mean makes him you know he's gonna go out he look if he ends up with the las vegas raiders i probably will never watch the afc west in any games this just wouldn't seem right i can't see tom brady in a raiders uniform it just doesn't look right he needs to be in L.A., which, by the way, did you see that report about the uh, the 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 uh, citizens of L.A. of Los Angeles is starting to sign a petition saying <laughs> they want the Chargers gone out of? Like we never asked for you all anyway. Yep. Yeah, I, I saw that. I, it was a couple of days ago when I saw that, and it pretty much yeah, this the citizens saying, you know, we didn't ask you guys to come to our city. We don't want the Chargers here. Stay in San Diego. 
Exactly. All right. Well, Chris, tell them where they can find you at. You guys can find me over on Twitter at ChrisKennedy318. Uh, and you can also find my, my weekly articles. Um, I'm doing uh, golf DFS write-ups every week uh, this time of year now that football is over. So you can find those over at thefantasyheadliners.com. All right. So this is going to be your first time, I think, witnessing the Article 15 live. So let me just it prepare is. you. It gets, you know, it can get a little loud. It can get a little bit exciting. And if you have anxiety, it's about to be ramped up like about a thousand. To, uh, you know, it's going to be ramped up times a thousand because I really get off into these Article 15s. It's something that I just really like to do. So with that being said, all my Vietnam veterans, welcome home. Germany, good night. All my active duty military personnel that's downrange, good night. It is now time for Big Sarge's Article 15. Antonio Brown and Chelsea Chris, come get this work. According to TheBlast.com, Antonio Brown parties with baby mama Chelsea Chris after Super Bowl. Apology accepted. Let me read that one more time. Antonio Brown parties with baby mama Chelsea Chris after Super Bowl. Apology accepted. Ex-NFL star Antonio Brown was spotted in the nightclub with his baby mama, Chelsea Chris, hours after publicly apologizing to his ex. Chelsea posted a video of her inside Live Nightclub at the at the uh, Fountain Blue in Miami, Fontaine Blue, excuse me, in Miami following the Super Bowl. In the clip, Antonio is seen dancing uh, in the club VIP section. Chelsea captioned the video, baby daddy turned with a laughing emoji. The two Hanging out in the same room comes after uh, Antonio wrote a heartfelt apology to Chelsea on Instagram. So, uh, Miss Chris, Chelsea Chris, I don't know you. I'm not going to call you a baby mama because as i gotten older, I've come to find out that that baby mama has a negative connotation to it. I would rather just say the mother of Antonio Brown's kids. What are you thinking? This man just threw a bag of gummy penises at you two weeks ago as he's telling you, get off my property, as he's telling the police to take you away in front of his kids. That alone should have told you that this dude is crazy after all the other things that you all have been through. Now, side note, I'm still perplexed, baffled, and confused on where did Antonio Brown get a bag of gummy penises from? Like, you don't just have those laying around. Like, if I want a snack, I got peanut M&Ms. Or I got crunch and munch. Or if worse come to worse, I'll go get me a bowl of Apple Jacks. I don't have a bowl of gummy penises just hanging around. And then he threw these at you to basically tell you to eat a well, you know, this is a family-friendly type show, so I don't want to get too crazy. And I got a guest on right now, and I don't want to just blow Chris's mind. As I digress, why? This is the same man that last year put you out of his house. The same man that last year would not let you get into a car, his car, to transport his kids around. This is the same man that has publicly berated you 
every twist and turn, every opportunity that he could. This is the same man that asked you, the mother of his child, to have a threesome and then said, you don't love me if you don't do it. The same man that is still fighting against sexual assault, rape allegations. And yet you want to say my baby daddy turned up in the club, yet we see you back with Antonio Brown. What are you thinking? You What you shouldn't do is take a page out of the NFL's uh, playbook and say, well, look, Antonio ain't proved nothing to us yet, so we're not going to even give him an opportunity to come sit down with us and talk to even get to a suspension until he gets his act together. All this on again, off again, I'm sorry for what I did. F the NFL, I'm sorry for what I did. Robert Kraft, you need to be in jail too. F the NFL, but I'm sorry. No. Antonio Brown needs help. He is bipolar. And for you to keep feeding into that, you are not a victim anymore. You're an accomplice. And the sad part about this is you're bringing your kids into this situation and they're watching. Kids are sponges. And as they get older, it's going to be one of two things. Either they're going to think that that's how it's supposed to be. The way daddy treated mama is how a man is supposed to treat a woman. Or they're going to totally shut themselves off from you and say, you put me in a toxic environment that I had no control over. But at the end of the day, y'all got to get it together. And if you asking for Big Sarge's opinion, I think y'all need to get it together apart. If y'all going to do it together, send the kids somewhere else where they can have love instead of all that toxic, negative energy around. It does not make any sense to me. And guess what? You know, I'm done with it. I mean, I, I'm cool. Antonio Brown, you can go back to, you know. Chris, I got a question for you. Like, when you have those type of gummies, and, like, I don't know if he's, like, are you chewing these penises? Are you sucking the gummy penises? Don't answer that question, Chris. Don't answer. <laughs> Do not. I was like, I had to turn my mic off throughout that entire thing so that the viewers didn't hear me cracking up laughing for the last like 90 seconds. <laughs> I just don't understand it, Chris. I, I don't. But you know what, though? I mean, hey, look, if if, if Miss uh, if, if Chelsea, Chris, if you're an Antonio Brown, if y'all like it, I love it. Just go ahead and get those kids. Remove those kids from that toxic situation. Chris, I want to thank you for coming on to the show today, man. I really appreciate it. We got to do this again. I need to have you around, uh, you know, here pretty soon because, we're, you know, in a couple of weeks, free agency starts, and then they're going to start talking about the uh, draft and things like that. So can I get you back on? And you say you do golf. You do golf as well, right? Yeah, so I'm doing uh, I'm doing some some DFS golf um, write ups every week for the fantasy headliners. Uh, we also just recently released a uh, a nice article, it was a compilation piece where a handful of the writers uh, picked a bunch of different teams, kind of came out with our wish list for those teams for for next season. Um, so you can check that out. I was able to write about I think I did about ten or eleven teams and kind of gave my input. Um, but then as we get closer to the draft. Um, I'm sure I'm going to be coming out with some mock drafts on who I think will go where. Um, so it'll be a great time to to be able to talk about the NFL draft and, of course, free agency in a few weeks. All right. Well, uh, I don't know if I ever told you 
my my favorite golfer, you know, I like Tiger Woods, but he's not my favorite. Jordan Spieth is my favorite. You know, that's because he went to the University of Texas. Don't judge me, yeah. Chris. You don't know, you don't know my life. But my <laughs> second favorite golfer in the world is, and only because of his name, because I love when they say, Steve Stricker. I like Steve Stricker. <laughs> Steve Stricker, really? Yes. Like I just, I just like his name. I mean, it's just like when in in NASCAR, then they used to have a guy named Dick Trickle. That yes, they did. You see what I'm saying? So it's like yeah. my name catches me, Steve Stricker. And I can't fault you for that because one of my favorite um, golfers, just as a as a person, and it has really has nothing to do with his actual game. I mean, I, I love parts of his golf game, um, but Bubba Watson, not only because his name is Bubba. Because when you think of somebody named Bubba, you think of a very large human being. And Bubba is probably the size of probably he's soaking wet, you know, five foot eight, five foot nine. But he uses a pink driver. And I love the man for it. I think it's absolutely great. So Bubba Watson is one of my favorite golfers. Hey, when you get a chance, go to YouTube and look up uh, what uh, the, the story about what happened to College Park, Bubba Sparks. You remember him? Booty, 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 rocking everywhere. Deliverance was one of my favorite songs of his. <laughs> so go look that up. All right, Chris. I'm out. Hard work. Hard work. Hard work.